Good evening, everyone. My name is Sean. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I am um, continuing in our series as we're working through 1 Peter. I hope um, everybody who's here has had an opportunity to maybe to hear some of the sermon series, but even more importantly, that you're studying at home because we really want to do this together, grow together. Um, I was questioned this week um, by a close friend of like, how do we prevent from being kind of a mile wide, but like an inch deep? Um, and it's this word. It is getting in the word, trying to figure out what the Holy Spirit was saying through the particular author, in this case, the Apostle Peter. Um, so I'm really I'm excited. My task is to work through chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Um, and with that being said, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the word, and we'll get started. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity to, be, to present before your people, but I ask, Lord God, you'll move me aside and use me as a tool to communicate your message. May things come across with clarity. Will you implant in all of our hearts the incorruptible seed of your word that it may bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I, um, I've entitled this sermon, Mindful of God. In particular, in verse 19, where... And we'll get to it, but he says, Peter says, for this is a gracious thing in, in talking about the suffering that one does under an unjust master. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Just want to kind of put it out there up front what my goal is this evening. Sometimes we reduce down the word of God to a set of rules and let me see if I can follow the rules, and then I'll be good with God. That is kind of the philosophy that I think the, the Pharisees had. And ultimately what that does is can put us in, we become, let me say it this way, we, we may get, there, there is a danger in that type of mentality because it can develop a self-righteousness. But it certainly does not help you to achieve the goals that God has when he's using suffering in your life. And that's what we're going to explore this evening. 
why it's so critical for you to be mindful of God as you go through life's various trials. Because there's one who sits on high who is entirely sovereign over everything. And that there is a purpose. There is something that he is trying to work in you or get out of you so that you can be perfected. Peter said it like this earlier in this chapter that we would come to the fulfillment of salvation. Or, or, or begin to die to those parts of us that are not like Christ. We may not ever get there until we see him face to face. But we certainly should be in a process that we would call sanctification in getting there. So my goal this evening is to, to look at the Apostle Peter and some things that we know from the Gospels and, and the book of Acts about his life that I believe have been applied here in this chapter, in particular, these set of verses that are going to help us to learn how to kill sin at the root in application, not just in theory. You know, one of the things that has been really difficult for me in my walk is not just mentally ascending to a thought. I mean, if any of you have been at any of the, the marriage um, ministry things. I've, I've had the opportunity to pray with Pastor JC for a while and spend some time around him. He's a very challenging guy. Like he, he don't really, he's he not, there's a lot of different ways you would say it, but he's not messing around. Like he's going to tell you straight up, like if you sin, get off that highway, take the next exit and go in the opposite direction. Let's don't play around with that. But you see some of the fruit of his life, at least for me, is something as an example for me, like, man, I want some of that fruit in my life. But, but the thing that he's challenging me to do, or he would challenge you to do, is not to passively want it, but to actively go after it. Let it be a grace-driven effort to look like Christ, because that is what we are called into. Please make that paradigm shift if you haven't heard that before. Because too often in our Christianity and why in certain cases someone can be around the church for decades but be really shallow in their maturity is because they're passively hoping that God will just wave his hand and change our behavior instead of getting to work by grace-driven effort, not in my own efforts, but led by the Holy Spirit in the community that he's given to me, that change is being worked in my life. So I want to bring out a couple of things about Peter that just to make sure we're on the same page. In Luke 6.15, Luke describes him as, before Jesus had changed his name, Simon the Zealot. Now, there's some debate about this, but I think looking at what Peter did in the garden, if you, if you guys remember, <laughs> on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas had brought an army um, into the garden of Gethsemane. And um, you know, when they went to go grab him, Peter took a sword and cut my man's ear off. Like Peter, Peter was like a, a very aggressive, let's not... Um, kind of negotiate, you know, like he's not, he wasn't somebody that would work at the UN. He wanted to be on the front lines. We could settle this on the battle zone, on the battlefield. Which leads me to believe that he was in some iteration a part of a group 
um, of an organized group of revolutionaries that were opposed to Roman rule. Like he was really kind of about like insurrection was not something that maybe was too far of a thought for him. This is why the interesting pairing of him and Matthew, the tax collector, is is so interesting that Jesus would have them together because it seemed like it would be a natural rivalry. That this guy betrayed his own country in in Matthew, the tax collector, and and, 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 and exhorting, extorting money from his own people. And then you have this other guy who's so into national pride that he believed that the Messiah was going to lead the charge to take Rome down. And so when he cuts my man's ear off, he's thinking he's setting it off. And Jesus is about to turn into some super beast and really begin to just destroy the Romans. So we got to take into consideration that Peter was a zealot and that was an organization. That was a frame of thinking that he had. And I think one of the best ways of seeing that is found in Matthew 16, verse 22. Here, Jesus had been explaining to the disciples that he was going to go to the cross, that that he needed to die. This is also after Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. Peter, in verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When I tell you that, I think Peter is really trying to hone in on something when he says that if you suffer underneath cruel masters, when mindful of God, then it's to your credit. There is a way in which we can deal with the issues of life And just sheer fear can cause us to behave a certain kind of way. Maybe righteousness will drive, self-righteousness will drive us in a certain direction. But if we want to be commended by God himself, then it's something that we need to make sure is happening is that we are mindful of him. Also, to kind of set the scene before we get into our passage, I just want to remind us that in verse 2, excuse me, verse 1, of this same chapter. Let me um, jump over to that. And, um, so it says, um, so put away all malice. So in, in verse one, and, and Pastor, Pastor Corey did an excellent job of really expounding on this. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. He says, so, so in considering that fact that you've been saved, you've been saved by a great price. Um, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So this is at the beginning of the chapter, and then I believe that what he's doing, just quick side note, remember, this is a letter, so it's a continuous thought. Sometimes we just jump into a particular scripture, and we lose sight of that. And so the author's ideas aren't fully captured because we forget that he is trying to, he has an extended thought going on. And so in this process of us going through this book, Make sure it's a very short book. It doesn't take but like 15 minutes to read, maybe 20 minutes to read. But you you go back and read so you can make sure you're capturing his train of thought and what he's trying to communicate, what the Holy Spirit was using him to get across to us. Amen? 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 Amen. Okay. 
I love it when you guys talk back because I know we're all on the same page and things of that nature. So let's, let's um, look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, any time you see a passage in Scripture talking about slavery, in particular as an African-American descendant of a slave, it's always kind of a, a tricky subject. Um, because you wish, man, why, why didn't they just call for the overthrow of this institution altogether? But Peter's kind of, his thrust of what he is doing is trying to help believers in this new faith in the world where they are the super minority be able to make it through. It's not about the social justice perspective that he is trying to get across. And certainly there's some differences between um, American slavery and, and this race-based chattel slavery that we experience here and what was going on in the Greco-Roman Roman world. Um, one thought um, from a guy named David Helm. Interesting, the word translated servants in Peter's text comes from the Greek genre of household terms. Some distinctions from its North American counterpart are in order. In the ancient Roman world, there were three classes of people. The Roman citizen who had full rights and protection under law. The freedmen who had restricted protection but still enjoyed a great deal of autonomy. And the servant class. These were the men and women largely employed as managers and helpers in the home. They ran the agrarian workplace. This servant class is the one Peter is writing about at this point in his letter. Now, we do know, scholars know, that there was a very significant number of slaves who were a part of the makeup of the early church. And so he, he sees a real issue that's going on, and he's addressing it in terms of how do you kind of bear up underneath this type of authority? Because remember, last week, Pastor AJ, he preached, and he helped us to understand that every man is under authority. And that we have to submit to authority, not in an absolute fashion, but mostly we need to respect the leaders that God has allowed to be in place in our lives. Well, he was talking, Peter, that is, was talking at a governmental level. Now he is bringing it home to the individual that is hearing this letter, and he's bringing up a situation that they're actually in. And how much more visceral of a reaction would one have if you're told that, you need to endure the type of cruel punishment um, that they had to do and call it and have it to be called a gracious thing. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it? Here, acknowledging that slavery status, that by working in the household, one would normally think that working in the household would be a better position than if you were in the mines or in the field. But in this situation, those who worked in the home caught it more because they were under the thumb of their masters. And if this cruel master was there, in particular with the, 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 the way that the society went is that the master of the house dictated what God you would serve. And here you are as a believer rejecting his God and accepting Jesus as Lord. It may cause you to incur unjust suffering. 
How do you bear up under that? How do you hear that it's a gracious thing? When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it? Now, so Peter is not, and if I said Paul, because I feel like I keep interchanging their names, I'll ask you to forgive me at that. Um, but if you are beaten for sin, that's no credit. God is not giving you some brownie points, a gold star for your behavior because you choose to endure the suffering that comes with you sinning against your master. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Two times in these verses, Peter has called this type of suffering a gracious thing. Why is that? I think when we think about Peter's background, him being a zealot, him understanding the nationalistic pride that drew up in him, that drove him to confront, even rebuke Jesus from the mission that he was on. Because I think inside Peter, there was some malicious intent towards the Romans. And he couldn't compute a God who could forgive them who could actually love them and this Savior come even on their behalf. In his mind, the, 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 the Messiah was only there for the Jewish interests. It had nothing to do with the world. And this plague, this sin that resided on the inside of him had him even following at a distance after Jesus was arrested. I think he was so confused by what was going on because it wasn't supposed to happen this way. It's not supposed to go this way. Jesus, what, what is going on? You, 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 why are you letting them take you? You find this in several places in, in the Gospels. I'm thinking in particular Matthew chapter 26 where it says that he followed at a distance. He knows from his own experience that the hatred that he had in his heart was causing division, not just with him and the Romans, but him and his God. Think about our culture. None of us, hopefully, are in slavery situations. But here we are, centuries later, after the scourge of slavery here in America, and it is still an extreme divide for us. Because we don't know how to process through without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the wisdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he says that you need to bear up under this type of rulership that is cruel and do it the right way with respect for your leader, what he's doing and why it's a gracious thing when mindful of God is because you are really guarding your heart from falling into the slavery that malice will bring on you. And how it can cause you to hate those who don't look like you. It can cause bitterness to be there. Envy and hypocrisy can reside on the inside of you, enslaving you to that sin. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were, we were under the, 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 the power of the God of this age. We couldn't control ourselves, but we've been freed from that. How does one walk in that freedom if not to walk in love in a situation that would say you shouldn't love? 
It's a gracious thing for us to have to go through unjust suffering. So we see the division that is happening in our country and we don't have an answer for it because it's a spiritual answer. And Peter, early in this chapter, verse 2, I believe it is, is where he talks about drinking of the spiritual milk, which will cause growth. Eating the word on a consistent basis, tasting and see that the Lord is good is what's going to allow for these roots to be taken out of our hearts. That we won't have to live in light of these things. So important that we recognize that God is in full control and there often is something far greater that he is trying to work in you through your life situations so that you look more and more like Christ than you would ever imagine. And so it takes a person to be able to trust this God. Verse 21 for to this you have been called. <clears throat> the impl- implications is, is that the suffering that you may be going through, maybe you received a scholarship that required you to work for a company or the military for several years and you find yourself in a situation where you hate your management or your leadership and you're suffering unjustly. You've been called to that. You've been, I'm not, now, don't hear me say, man, if he's putting his hands on you and beating you down, that you stay there and you don't go to HR and you don't do what you need to do to get out of that oppressive situation. I'm not saying that at all. But there's some levels of suffering that God has called you into because he's trying to press something out of you. He's trying to shape you in a certain way that you will look more and more like Christ. You've been called to it. Being called And understanding that that God is in full control is one of the things that helped Jesus to process through what he was going through. I know he is God. He was 100% God, 100% man. But scripture tells me in Hebrews 12 that for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to endure all of the punishment, all of the pain, all of the suffering that he would go through. So he's trusting that God's plan was going to come to fruition. In fact, Peter says so further in these verses as we work our way down. This calling should help you, when mindful of God, help you attach yourself to something greater, meaning that it has purpose. I had a, a very short stint in the, in the military. Um, just a couple of years, I was in um, ROTC and um, was on an Air Force scholarship. And so to fulfill my commitment, I was in the Air Force active duty a couple of years. One of the things I remember <clears throat> in training, we would do PT. This is in Texas, in um, uh, Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas. No, it was in Lackland. Um, so it was San Antonio. Um, in the dumb heat, <laughs> we would be out there doing PT. A lot of push-ups, calisthenics, sit-ups. Um, thump the bunny was one famous thing that they like to do is, is – kind of stupid thing where you touch the ground and have to jump up. But it gets you in really good shape. <laughs> the reason why I bring it up is because at the end of each set, there was this phrase that, would, that we had to say. Sweat more in peace, bleed less in war. Sweat more in peace, bleed less in war. It helped us to really kind of calibrate why we were doing what it is that we're doing. 
It may suck out here in this heat. But if you don't want to bleed in war, then you need to put the work in now so that you're ready for the battle when it arrives. When you know that you're called and you know that a part of that calling is suffering the spiritual milk that you need to be getting in your body so that you are prepared for that storm should be something you're doing on a regular basis. You should be doing it in community on a regular basis. I believe Peter was doing this. I believe the words of his Lord, his discipler, rang in his ears. Get behind me, Satan. You're concerned with the things of man, not the things of God. That he wanted, he, 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 he had to work on that. He, he needed to understand what was at the root of why the things of man were more important. He wasn't passive about it. I believe he identified the malice that resided in his heart through the the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And he began to get in the word to eliminate it. And what word did he use? Let's, Let's continue. Verse 22, he committed, excuse me, um, verse 21, we're still there. For to this you have been called, (coughs) because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 9. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. These are references to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 7, I believe. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Another quote, allusion to Isaiah 53. Peter spent time In Isaiah 53, he immersed himself in what we would call chapter 53. So much so that he didn't reference his personal experience seeing Jesus himself die or what firsthand accounts that he would have heard of Jesus' death. The words of the prophet Isaiah rang out. Holy Scripture gave him confidence that God knows what he is talking about. That he is in full control because Isaiah wrote this nearly 700 years before Jesus was even born. The prophetic nature of the word should give you even more confidence that we're not not a people with a blind faith. We don't just blindly follow some traditions of men. This is reality, and the one who created all of reality gave us special revelation in his word so it will conform us into the image of Christ. Here we're seeing the fruit of that in the apostle's life. The one who would stop Jesus from going to the cross was now the one who stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and was beaten for healing the man at the beautiful gate. And he goes off dancing. Talking about, hey, man, we got to suffer. We got to share in the sufferings of Christ. What? The zealot? The guy who is ready for war when the numbers are way against him and still cut a man's ear off? 
something had transformed in his life. And here the apostle who understands the situation, he's still under Nero. He's not free from that tyranny. He knows what it's like to be thrown in jail when Herod just, because he wanted to, did it. And fortunately, you know, amazingly, the angel opened up the prison for him. He walks out. And then he books it out of town. He is a man that is accustomed to suffering. We don't have an account here of somebody who doesn't understand the depths of what you are going through when we're talking about suffering. Amen. You know, there are times when, when, when our bosses can be horrible. I've seen the pain as a husband and, and wanting to protect my wife but really not being able to do too much of some really unkind things that some of her bosses have done because I believe they felt threatened by her just because God blessed me with a superwoman and she just can do everything great. No, I mean that. I'm not even trying to get brownie points right now. I really mean that. She's awesome, man. I'm married up for real. But I've seen it. I've seen it personally where men making so much more money than her, had to come to her to get instruction on how to do a task. That she's clearly leading, but she's being kind of held back as an African-American or, excuse me, Jamaican-American woman. I've seen the pain that that can cause when someone takes credit for her work and they get the bonus. I've seen the pain that that can cause when someone says, that she isn't vital to the company, that she has no real value. Because for whatever reason, they just stopped liking her. I've seen it. The suffering that, that can happen in the workplace. There are ways in which you, you sit under certain leadership and you feel justified in the anger that you feel. You can feel justified in those plans that you'll never enact, but just those things, man, I, I would do this, this, and this. You know, as I was studying this passage, one thing that, that at least in the community of friends I have, there was a phrase of, man, I wish somebody would. I, I wish somebody would. It's a, way, it's a way of practicing what I would do. You know, I, I remember um, in a a comedic special, the guy was like, somebody came in late and he said, you know, some people when they come in late, they say, man, I hope nobody's in our seats. But some, some folks in the black community would be like, now I wish somebody would be in my seat. <laughs> I don't believe that that is pointing to some Christ perspective on how we're going to handle this conflict. It certainly wasn't for me. Man, there is a way that I can rehearse sin so that when the rubber meets the road, that's how I respond. And then I'm like, God, I, I don't know. I, please change me. And I don't realize how much I have inculcated that thought into my psyche. So that's exactly how I respond. Paul would say it in a positive, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, I, had, I was doing it the wrong way. We have to actively go after malice. This is what Peter is helping us to understand. It can't reside in the heart of one who is a part of the kingdom. Yeah. 
Peter is commending to us to not just look at Jesus' act as a religious act, but that he is one that we want to emulate. You know, I'm always, one of the most powerful verses to me that Paul has written is in Romans 1, where he says, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he says ungodliness first because it's our lack of desire to be like him that is what leads to our unrighteousness. How often have you heard, man, I would never let someone do that to me. Peter here is saying something completely different. Jesus did something completely different. And, 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 and the, those who are foolish and who, who are not under the lordship of Christ, they... They speak about it as if it's foolishness. But this is a part of a plan that we are a part of to win the city. It's through love. It's through our obedience to the God who has turned things upside down. If he wanted to, he could annihilate everybody. That's nothing for God. But he is choosing to use love. Remember earlier in these, these cha- this chapter 1 and early in chapter 2 where he talks about how those who, 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 who have treated you, mistreated you will stand before God and give him glory because of your righteous conduct. There is a strategy that our God is trying to deploy through us that we got to get in line with. So we have to eradicate passivity from our definition of what Christianity is. It's a call for us to value kingdom life more than anything else. And so that may mean putting down the sticks for you gamers. It may mean that you don't binge watch something because there's something of far greater importance that I want to give myself to. As important as my job is, I don't want to allow it to elevate to the place where I make God's word subservient to that. This is the most important thing. This is what's going to last for eternity. The fruit of our lives. Not how much money you've made. Not the comfort that you enjoy in your home. And those are not bad things. Please don't hear that. But that stuff's not going to last. It's us actively being a part of what God has called us into. And it's this life that will serve as a witness for him. That has rewards at the end. Paul talks about it in Romans 8. That there's an inheritance that we we will enjoy with Christ. We share in his glory. What does that mean? It's this kind of life. Where we sit under authority. In particular, when we are confronted with it at a personal level. Not just a governmental level. I've seen our government in this country make some decisions that just were straight up influenced by the enemy, I believe. But I can, it doesn't impact me day to day. But you know, Pastor AJ, if he was treating me all kinds of wrong, I would feel that. (laughs) Maybe a real example would be July 20th. 2020, and I got stabbed, preaching the gospel right in this room, helping people to get to a space to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I laid in the bed for like 30 days. You know, the questions that come, where was God? 
Why didn't he protect me? Those types of things. But because I've been actively working towards building my life on the rock. Not just checking it off as a religious activity, but actively pursuing, trying to look more and more like Christ. And I know I have a long ways to go. But because it hasn't been passive, I could respond with, man, I know that my God loves me. He will never leave me, never forsake me. I remember the testimonies of when we would go to a conference. It was wonderful coming back home and hearing you guys say, man, for those who knew about it, man, I was praying for you. Can you imagine going to a conference down in Florida, meeting someone from the northwest west part of this state? Don't look anything like me. Recognize me and say, man, I was praying for you. And give me this awkward hug that men aren't supposed to do to one another. <laughs> well, I was really giving him the awkward hug because I was so thankful <laughs> for the prayers. I met a brother who was from the um, Eastern Europe. He said, you know, you inspired me with your willingness to die for the gospel. He didn't know me, man. I, 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 I was tongue-tied, just like now. Like, I was trying to tell my wife, like, he didn't even speak good English. He, this was like out of, out of every nation, our larger family that, that we're a part of, where he confessed this, to find out that God had people praying for me in parts of this globe I've never even been to. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Suffering comes towards us. We live in a culture that says, no, comfort is what we need. Let's not be a people who bow our knee to the God of comfort. Let's bow our knee to the eternal God who sent his only begotten son. Verse 25 says, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The example that Jesus set allows us to have the protection of the shepherd and overseer of our souls. When we act in kind, we help others to find that same comfort. One last story before I get out of here. And I thank God that he has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt as my son the enemy who killed my dear boys. These were the words of Korean pastor Yang Woon's son. The year was 1948. The place was the town of Sunchan, near the 38th parallel. A band of communists had taken control of the town for a brief period and had executed pastor's son's two oldest boys, Matthew and John. They died as martyrs calling on their persecutors to have faith in Jesus. When the communists were driven out, Chai's son, a young man of the village, was identified as one who had fired the murderous shots. His execution was ordered. Pastor's son requested that the charges be dropped and that Chai's son be released into his custody for adoption. Rachel, 13-year-old sister of the murdered boys, testified to support her father's incredible request. Only, did, only then did the courts agree to release Chai Sun. He became the son of the pastor and a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes the people who can cause you the most pain, God is trying to get the gospel to them. And he may want to use you as the agent to get him. The greatest miracle that could have happened for Chai Sun happened because this pastor who was suffering was willing to use that as an opportunity to love someone. May that be our heart stance when it comes to sitting up under the kind of authority that is unjust, that will be mindful of God, that will take notice that he has called us to this and that he wants us to be a people who will look to Jesus as an example so that he can extend his flock and bring others underneath his jurisdiction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. I pray, Lord God, that this word will change us. That it's, it's, it's not a moment where we just nod and agree. Um, not that we've been doing that, um, but I, I just, Daddy, we need to change more and more to look like you. I mean, we need your help, so use this um, as a way of changing us. Is there anyone here who cannot testify to Jesus being your overseer and shepherd of your life? If you would like to accept his knock at your heart um, to enter into the kingdom of God, please raise your hand. Amen. Well, I thank you, Father, that we all have a relationship with you who are here. Um, Bless us as we go in our separate directions. In the name of Jesus, amen.